Well, if you will, open your Bible and turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. We are working our way through this great book, and we are in chapter 13 tonight. We're going to cover several chapters, portions of several chapters. This is a uh, tough passage of Scripture, as you could probably tell by the title of the message tonight, an appeal to a dying nation. This is Ezekiel's message over these next several chapters to the nation of Judah or Israel. And what is so troubling to me about it is that there are so many parallels that I see between ancient Israel and modern-day America. And as we look at this tonight, I think uh, it'll be easy for you to see those same parallels. And so it's very troubling. And yet, uh, our hope is in the Lord. We don't give up. Uh, We keep on uh, trusting Him. We keep on looking to Him. Because um, we've read the last page in the Bible, haven't we? And we're on the winning side. So we're grateful for that. But uh, life sometimes can be quite tough. And so tonight, we're going to look at this passage that I've entitled, An Appeal to a Dying Nation. I hope you have your outlines handy there. Ezekiel chapter 13. Let me go ahead and give you point number one. And then I'll read a few of these verses in chapter 13. Point number one, Israel listened to foolish prophets. How was this ancient nation described? One way was that they listened to foolish prophets. Look with me there in Ezekiel chapter 13, starting to read at verse 3. Thus says the Lord God, thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. These were prophets who were simply talking from their own experience or from their own imagination. They were not anchored in the word of God. They were not uh, people who wanted to be holy. They claimed to have a message from God. They claimed to have a message that people should want to hear, but they were foolish. They were foolish because they had abandoned the word. Notice again in verse 3, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. They weren't preaching the word of God. They had not even had a vision of God, like Ezekiel has these visions that we've seen and are seeing tonight as well. And his visions were from God, and he was communicating them to the people. But these foolish prophets were not doing that. They just had their own ideas, and they would talk about whatever it is was on their mind to talk about. He says that they have seen nothing. They've not seen a vision of God. They had not had an encounter with God. They had not had anything happen to them like Ezekiel had that we looked at earlier in chapter 1, his great vision of heaven, and chapters 2 and 3, God's call on his life. None of that was in the lives of these foolish prophets. And instead of preaching the Word of God, also, verse 5 tells us that they had not strengthened the people. Look, At verse 5, you've not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle 
on the day of the Lord. These prophets, of, if they were prophets of God, they were supposed to be strengthening the people, helping them spiritually to build up the spiritual walls around their lives, around their families, and around their city. But they weren't doing that. They were content simply to have their own ideas and talk about their own ideas. And then also, they discouraged those who were righteous because not everyone in Israel had given over to idolatry and other things. There were some righteous people. God always has a remnant. And there were some there. Look down at verse 22 of this same chapter. He's speaking here still about these prophets. In this case, the prophetesses. There were women who were prophesying as well. And he says here, Because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad. And you have strengthened the hands of the wicked, so that he does not turn from his wicked way to save his life. So they were damaging the people who were living there in Israel. They were, they were not helping them at all. They were hurting them as a matter of fact. And you know, we have a lot of the same thing going on in our country today. I'm so very grateful that there are many churches who are still preaching the Word of God and teaching the Bible. And we know that uh, the Bible is the inerrant Word of God and we need to preach it. Uh, otherwise, uh, people just go crazy. They go like these ancient prophets did, these ancient preachers did. They just uh, imagine things and make up stuff that they talk about. I was very troubled recently to read of a church uh, up north that was promoting a Sunday entitled Drag Me to Church Sunday. And they were promoting drag queens and inviting drag queens to come. The service was all about celebrating drag queens. And then I read of another one uh, also in the Midwest uh, he was a seminary student, not thankfully in one of our seminaries, uh, but uh, his idea was for himself to dress up as a woman and walk through the streets of the city that he lived in, trying to get a crowd so he could have them express joy so, because they could just express themselves the way that made them feel happiest. And that was the way that made him feel happy. There's also a certain seminary out west, again, not affiliated with any of ours. But um, they've totally abandoned the Word of God. They admit as students now atheists and Buddhists and Wiccans, witches, and not for the purpose of evangelizing them, but so that they can have a multicultural, kind of inclusive, all truth is any truth, whatever truth you want to believe is okay. That's where we are in America today in some places. Like I said earlier, thank God that's not everywhere. But there are places where you have a hard time finding a Bible-believing, Bible-believing, and Bible-preaching church. Well, Ezekiel is appealing to a dying nation because they were listening to false prophets. Secondly, point number two, they were worshiping false gods. They listened to foolish prophets and they worshiped false gods. Look with me now in chapter 14 in verse 1. Now some of the elders of Israel came to me, that's 
Ezekiel, and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart, because they are all estranged from me by their idols. They worshipped false gods. They replaced the one true and living God with gods that were made of wood and stone and other materials. They replaced the God of creation with the gods of fertility, like Baal and Asherah and other gods who were prominent and prevalent in that day. And God says, because of that, because you have exchanged the worship of me for these worship for your worship of other gods, I'm going to show you that they are powerless. These gods that they worshiped were fertility gods. That means that uh, they were worshiping these gods that they thought brought about the fer fertility of the land. That is, that they would have bumper crops and so on if they just worshiped these foreign pagan gods. Well, look what God's going to do about that. Look over at verse 13 of chapter 14, and here's what he says about that. Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, and cut off man and beast from it. Here's God saying, there is no way that worshiping foreign gods, gods of fertility that you think are going to bring you bumper crops is going to work. In fact, I'm going to show you that I'm going to bring famine on the land as a demonstration of the fact that I am the one who is powerful and those false gods have no power whatsoever. And then he goes on to say, later in this chapter, look with me down at verse 14. He says, even if th these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in that particular city that I've cut off without uh, any food, uh, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord. So God says here through Ezekiel, even if there were these three magnificently righteous men who were heroes uh, in that time, Noah and Daniel and Job, these three men were known as prayer warriors. Uh, Noah delivered his family only after that flood. Uh, Daniel prayed and delivered uh, by his prayer and all delivered those Hebrew boys and, and was a man of prayer three times a day for all of his life. And then Job, who prayed for his friends and God restored his prosperity. And God says, even if those three stalwart, righteous prayer warriors were to pray for this city, they couldn't save this city. They could save themselves. That is, they wouldn't die. But the city's still going to die when all of this judgment falls upon them. So they were giving up the worship of God to follow their false idols. How many idols, I wonder, would God say to America tonight are in our land? Idols of power and greed. Idols of celebrity. 
idols of Wall Street, idols of government power, on and on and on we could go. America is a land of idols. In fact, there's a place out in Colorado. Some of you may have visited it. I have not. But there's a place out there called the Garden of the Gods, which is a commentary on how America has become a garden of the gods. And God says, I'm going to bring famine in the rest of this chapter, wild beasts, the sword, and pestilence. There's going to be these four ways I'm going to bring judgment on Israel, on Jerusalem, and on the people who live there. So what was wrong with the people in, in uh, Ezekiel's day? They listened to foolish prophets. They worshiped false gods. And then third, Israel was comprised of faithless people. Who were the people of Israel? By and large, they were faithless people. Uh, there's a misprint there uh, that I did in your outline. It should be chapter 15 and verse 8. There is no verse 16, so... Anyway, point number three, Israel was comprised of faithless people. Let's look at verse eight. This again is God saying through Ezekiel, thus I will make the land desolate because they have persisted in unfaithfulness, says the Lord God. They were unfaithful or they were faithless. That is, they weren't walking with God. They were walking according to the desires of their own flesh. They were not uh, true to God. God demanded and desired from them a wholehearted faith and a wholehearted worship, and they weren't doing that. Part of it was because their leaders, their priests and prophets, were corrupt and they were foolish and they were leading the people wrong, but still there were, they were discouraged and they were faithless. They did not really believe God. And then Point number four here in your outline is in chapter 16, and that is this, that they practiced forgetful ways. They practiced forgetful ways. They forgot what God did for them. In chapter 16, it's a long chapter, but here's what God is saying to the people. He's saying, Jerusalem, you are nothing before I found you, and before I made you what you were. But you've forgotten that. He said, I made you a beautiful city. The temple was there. You were the envy of all the nations around you, but you forgot me. And because you forgot me, there's going to be judgment that comes on you and on the people of Israel and Judah. And so he says here, look with me, if you will, at verse 43 of chapter 16. And here's what he says. Because you did not remember the days of your youth, but agitated me with all these things, surely I will also recompense your deeds on your own head says the Lord God. And you shall not commit lewdness 
in addition to all your abominations. So what was their problem? They had short memories. They forgot the goodness of God in their life. They had forgotten the blessings of God. They had forgotten that God had made them a nation. They had forgotten that God had given them the land of Canaan. They had forgotten that uh, God dwelt among them. They had forgotten the blessings of the temple. They had forgotten the blessings of the word of God. They had forgotten the messages of the prophets that God sent over and over and over again to them, giving them the word of God, telling them how to live righteously, warning them that if if they did not, that judgment would fall. But they went on in their disobedient ways. They forgot that God had established them and blessed them. They left him. They embraced foreign gods, and they lived the kind of lives that they wanted to instead of the kind of life that God expected and demanded them to live. I wonder tonight, can we see anything like that in our own country? There's much evidence, isn't there, that people by and large have forgotten the blessings of God on our country. Our country was founded on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our country was founded for the purpose of sending the message of the gospel around the world. The first 100 universities and colleges that were founded in America were founded for that exact purpose. It was in their statement of purpose when they founded their colleges. All the Ivy League schools were founded for the purpose of preaching and teaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now look at them now. They're still academically, supposedly the cream of the crop. But spiritually, they have long ago left and forgotten the reason that they were founded. So much so that Harvard recently hired an atheist to be the campus chaplain. Harvard. People either forget or they don't want to know the truth about our nation. We've always been a nation of sinners. Our founders did not get everything right. They tried. They didn't get everything right. We still don't have everything right. But friend, it doesn't mean because we don't have everything right that we ought to go stark raving mad and just abandon everything that our nation was founded on. That is a recipe for disaster. So Israel practiced forgetful ways. But then I want you to skip over now. We're going to skip chapter 17 and look at verse 18. Uh, Chapter, excuse me, chapter 7. We're skipping chapter 17 and looking at chapter 18. And point number five, Israel still, in spite of all this, Israel still had a faithful God. In spite of all of their shortcomings, in spite of all of their sin, in spite of all that they had done wrong to agitate God, God remained faithful. And he's still faithful tonight. 
And so he tells the people that they are responsible for their own actions. Let's read a few verses here from chapter 18 of Ezekiel. Then the word of the Lord came to me again, saying, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge? Here's what they meant by that. They meant it's our our fathers, our forefathers who sinned, and we're the ones who are paying the price for it. Fathers ate sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. And they're saying to God, that's not fair. That's not right. We shouldn't have to suffer because of what our grandparents did or our great-grandparents did. But then here's how God answers them. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. That is, that one doesn't work. So quit saying it. Behold, he says, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. If the soul, the soul who sins shall die. And he's speaking here about physical death. He says, you can't blame your ancestors for what you did. Yes, they did sin. For decades and centuries, they had sinned. But you're in captivity, not because of their sins, but because of your sins. You are responsible for what you are doing and have done up until today. And so he says, the soul who sins shall die. Every person has to stand before God to speak about the kind of life we've lived. And every person has that responsibility before God. He says the same thing in verse 20. The soul who sins shall die. And he, then he talks here about three generations of people. Suppose, he says, that there's a man who does not keep my law, then he will die. So suppose he has a son who does keep my law, he will live. But suppose he has a son who doesn't keep my law, then he'll die. None of them can live based on what their prior father did. Every person stands before God on his own or on her own. So every person stands before God. So there's the individual responsibility. And then Secondly, you see that in your outline here, letter B, there is for everyone the necessity of repentance. Look with me at verses 30 and 31. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God, repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Here, Ezekiel's message 
is the same message that all the prophets had preached beforehand, and all of them have since then, and that is repent. Repent. You are guilty. You are a sinner. Therefore, you need to repent. You can't blame your father. You can't blame your ancestors. It is you who needs to repent. And because of that, he says, what you need is a new heart and a new spirit. That's the gift of regeneration. Let's read those uh, verse, verse 31 again. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. That is, in New Testament language, get born again, get saved. You need a new heart. You need a new life. You need a new spirit. You need to repent and you need to get saved. For why should you die, O Israel? Why should you continue in your sins? Why should you continue blaming other people when you can get right with me? You don't have to die. You can live if you'll trust me. For he says in verse 32, For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies. That is, one who dies wickedly or without the Lord. Why should you die, O Israel? I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, the one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore, turn and live. God was faithful always in that day. If anyone would repent and come to him in humility and faith, he will hear them. He will answer their prayer. They can get born again. They can have a new life and they will live. And that's the message that has been preached all throughout the centuries, and it is still the same message today. And though America has fallen prey to many of the same sins that ancient Israel has, we also still have a faithful God. And He tonight is still offering this invitation. He is saying to us, He is saying to our church, to our city, to our nation, to this world, why will you die? When you can live, repent, turn away from your sins, get born again, have a new heart, come to the Lord in repentance, in humility, in faith, come to Jesus. He is the only one who can forgive your sins. He's the only one who died on a cross so you can have forgiveness. He's the only one who rose from the dead so you can have eternal life. He is pleading tonight, come for salvation. Come, come to Jesus.